You're listening to Tara Lynn's A Geek Saga podcast. This episode features audio from a discussion panel that was recorded at DragonCon 2018. Okay, uh, hi everybody. This is the uh, High Fantasy Sons of the Dragon panel. Um, we are going to be talking about the Sons of the Dragon novella that was published in Book of Swords, uh, was it last year? Last I think year last, last yeah. October, maybe something like that. Um, and also just general, you know, Targaryen line of succession fun. So uh, my name is Tara. I am the moderator today. I uh, can be found across the web at A Geek Saga. I'm an author. I've got uh, two books out under the pen name T.L. Walker, and I run Ice and Fire Con, which is um, Game of Thrones Song of Ice and Fire convention. We uh, were the first ever uh, Game of Thrones convention in the U.S. way back in 2013, and uh, we're going to be having our seventh seventh convention in uh, April, end of April 2019. So we're, we're going big too. We're going to have like a theme of the seven and everything. Pretty excited. And uh, my fellow panelists are... Hey, I'm Jennifer Liang and I am the track director for High Fantasy at DragonCon. And I'm Andrew Nadesky. Um I'm co-host of the Stat Check podcast and I'm a volunteer at um, Ice and Fire Con and I've attended, I think this is going to be my fourth year now. So yeah. really love it and would encourage anybody who loves Ice and Fire to attend. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to hope that y'all have read Sons of the Dragon, uh, but if you haven't, it's, it's not really spoilery stuff because, um, you know, the, a, lot of this, a lot of this information was vaguely out there on the Song of Ice and Fire wiki or Westeros forums, and George had certainly talked about it quite a bit, um, but the Sons of the Dragon, it, be- it begins uh, kind of at the end of Aegon... The con- I can talk today, Aegon the Conqueror's life, and um, it's basically about the succession kind of soon after uh, that, you know, we, like, Visenya uh, is still alive for, for most of the novella, and uh, causing some ruckuses with her son, Magor the Cruel, so... Um, the way I usually run these things will kind of get the conversation started, but then uh, hopefully up to you guys to keep it going with some good questions and pithy thoughts. Uh, just make sure that if you, is there, is there a mic to pass around or, okay. Okay, so there are two mics, so just like raise your hand and, and one of our lovely volunteers will bring you guys a, a mic to, uh, that way everybody will be able to hear you. I mean, thankfully, this room isn't so huge that it would be that big of a problem. But, so, let's start with you guys. Um, I don't know, what is your, what's your favorite thing about this particular novella? I mean, for me, it's that the high towers are trouble. I mean, the high towers are always start trouble. I mean, between, um, you know, what happened with Cerise and then, you know, in this, pretty much um, kicking off the, the kind of feedback against, or the pushback against Targaryens having multiple wives, uh, and then Alicent during the Dance with Dragons just starting a huge, you know, inter-Targaryen war. You know, that was very, very interesting to me. Um, but also seeing sort of the um, personality differences that sort of play out with the Targaryens, and you kind of see that across time. Right, even going into Danny, even going into well, now we can say John. You know, every Targaryen has a different sort of personality, but there are sort of predispositions to, um, frankly, cruelty. Um, in some cases, there's there's on the other side, you'd even say incompetence, um, <laughs> or rather just softness. So I mean, you see that in um, Aenys, who's the um, first son, um, and then Megor has the the obviously obviously the other side. He's the cruel. So um, that was a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, I agree with Andrew. A lot of um, just the details on the Targaryen family, their different personalities, um, getting some of that stuff fleshed out a little bit more. Um, also, uh, just seeing just how they play off of each other. Because like you, you, you hear the name Maegor the Cruel, and you're like, oh, that sounds like a really awful guy. But then you start reading more of the details of it, and you're like, oh, yeah, no, he was really awful. It's not just a fun nickname. <laughs> But he um, was effective, right? I mean, he was uh, awful, but the whole issue was he was awful because he had to be, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, part of the plot, and this is a story, once again, if folks, you know, read through it, was um, during Aeneas's rule, a lot of the lords were just in rebellion. You know, they wanted to try to go back to pre-conquering times, which, in their case, they had people who remembered a time before the Targaryens. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when push came to shove, 
Ainies wasn't able to mobilize quickly enough to put those down. That was completely uh, Magar going in and quashing all those separate rebellions across the realm. Yeah, and then causing a few of his own later. Um, <laughs> so, so I actually, weirdly enough, um, I, I have a new favorite thing about this particular novella, and it's thanks to uh, History of Westeros podcast. I don't know if you, any of you guys listen to them, but they're great. One of the longer-running uh, webcast podcasts for Song of Ice and Fire. Um, and they posted, uh, both on Facebook and on Twitter, this little comparison uh, between Megor and a character who is in the current timeline. Um, very, very large men who had lots of wives. There was a famous incident with a horse in both cases. And their names rhyme. So, um, and there's, there's actually a ton of other stuff that Megor the Cruel and Gregor Clegan have in common. And it's just a, it, it was very interesting, like, this has to be on purpose, right? Um, I mean, even down to the fact that uh, they were both injured in uh, combat, you know, where they were fighting for, well, in, in Magor's case himself and Gregor's case for, you know, Cersei, uh, Tyrion, sorry, Cersei, <laughs> against Tyrion. Boo, I can talk today, really. Um, but they were both injured, uh, like, grievously and uh, almost died, or in Gregor's case, probably did die. Uh, and, and honestly, with Magor, he might have as well, because he was also brought back uh, via possible, likely, black magic by Tiana of the Tower, one of his, one of his wives who he, like, later had, I think he had killed. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so that, that's a really, like, a really neat parallel between, or a lot of really neat parallels between those two characters that I thought was a super interesting you know, thing to, to, I don't know how they even came to that conclusion, but I was like, oh my God, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, now, and you were saying, Andrew was saying like, Aenys was like kind of weak and slow to action and everything. And Megor kind of did what he had to do, but Megor was also not a good person. Right. I mean, <laughs> Aenys was just a nice guy TM, you know, like he was just <laughs> super, super, super nice. And, you know, was a kind of pleaser. I mean, almost in the same way we see with a lot of different um, rulers. Now, some um, some rulers end up being effective working that way. Like later on we, in World of Ice and Fire, we hear about, and also a little bit in the um, aftermath here, we hear about Jaehaerys, who is, was a very kind of calm guy who kind of brought the realm together, um, you know, not a warlike dude. Um, but Aenys wasn't as effective, and really that's how he was, he was It's sort of like Aenys was, the, Aenys was the wrong king for the time. Like you, you yeah. sort of needed another conqueror in that time to keep the realm together and then later on you could have a nice guy who'd be like yeah like we're just gonna grow stuff and we're gonna like you know intermarry our families together and kind of build things up but you really needed like the strong cruel yeah i'm gonna march my armies across your land and just burn everything down guy to keep everything together because a lot of empires collapse after the the initial conqueror passes away uh and so that's you, you needed somebody like uh magor to hold things together just to keep it going a little bit longer. Well, and that was a that's a big like plot point um, for both Aenys and Magor. That then you know Aenys especially kind of screws up um, is that they they did you know they married outside of the Targaryen family. They had to. They had no sisters. Um, but uh, with Aenys marrying uh, Valerian, Valerian, I can never pronounce. It's like Valerian. Valar- Valarian. Valarian. Yeah. I, I always have trouble with that one because it's like so close to Valerian. Valerian. Yeah. Valerian. And they um, have Valerian blood, which makes it even more yeah. complicated. Uh, and then Megor, of course, marrying a high tower, and then eventually other people. But um, so they married outside of the Targaryen family, you know, making these alliances and everything, and also kind of appeasing the people of Westeros who weren't really into the whole like incest thing. Um, but then later on. Uh, you know, Aenys has a bunch of kids, and by the way, Megor has none. I, f- I find that so, like, so cool and interesting, like, that Aenys, this sickly, you know, kind of weak person, has, like, a crap ton of kids, and then Megor's over here not able to have any. Well, he, he Three wives. Uh, he had, yeah, well, there, there were stillbirths of, like, drastically Monsters. deformed yeah. uh, children, uh, but one of them may not have even been his, because they, they right. uh, what was it, was it Cerise, who was... I can't remember which yeah. one of his wives, like her... Mm-hmm. No, I think it was his other wife, um, whose name I'm blanking on right now, who... It was like, the first one, whoever the first one was. She was the one that he put to death for adultery. Okay, well, that's what it was. Okay, it was Cerise, though. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah, yeah. Know, she was... Yeah. She, her, her dad was basically, like, pimping her or out, trying to get her to have no kids. How it happens. <laughs> 
I can get somebody in there. I mean, but did you see a parallel to Daenerys there when with kind of like the the um, the children, the deformed children in, in that I, case? Yeah, I yeah. did see that. The, the, the wings and everything yeah. especially mm-hmm. is, is like, how does this even happen? Yeah. Uh, they really do have <laughs> dragon blood in them yeah. or something weird. Um, but yeah, so so it's an awfully specific deformity to happen in this family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so so Amy's had a bunch of kids, and um, he didn't kind of he, he didn't he didn't pay attention to the fact, or didn't maybe just didn't care that that you know the whole intermarrying within the family was a was an issue with people, and he mar- you know he mm-hmm. his daughter and son married each other, and that kind of sparked like a whole bunch of of these rebellions that happened during his reign and. Uh, you know, and he, he had given Blackfire to Magor at the beginning, and they said, you know, we'll rule together. But, like, you know, Visenya was always there in the background kind of muttering about how her, her kid was better. And, like, you know, you should be following him. Like, Westeros needs... Um, needs a warrior. I wrote this down because I really liked it. Westeros required a warrior, not a dreamer. Do you think this is really interesting to me in bringing up Visenya? You know, that made me think a lot about what Visenya's sister-wife relationship was. It seemed like, in the, and there were kind of um, bits and pieces of World of Ice and Fire and other comments that the wives weren't kind of equal, that Aegon yeah. spent mm-hmm. more time away from Visenya than with her. So would you all also say that perhaps there was some like leftover saltiness le- from there from Aegon's lack of preference for... Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, there, I definitely felt like she felt like the passed-over wife and that her child was being passed over even though he was clearly so much better. No, he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, does anybody have any, like, questions or anything like that? Like I said, just if you do, just raise your hand and someone will bring you a microphone. Otherwise, we'll just keep uh, keep talking. <laughs> I was wondering with the, the release of Fire and Blood coming later this year, how do you think that this will affect uh, the novella itself? Uh, or do you think that they're just going to rewrite, um, just republish what was being uh, published before? I mean, I, I was aware of some errors that happened with the release of uh, Book of Swords, uh, uh, Sons of the Dragon. And I know they're going to fix those, but I was wondering if, they, if you think uh, that there, there might be something else added or. From what I heard, um, the, this the the novella is going to kind of be like basically the story is going to be in there, possibly even more fleshed out than it already is. That's that's mm-hmm. what I've heard, mm-hmm. um, and I did. Yeah, I've I've heard a little bit. I, I can't remember what exactly the errors were. It may have been continuity, it may have been family tree stuff, but I do know that they they put out I think uh, like a picture of the family tree that's going to be in the book, and there were definitely they put that out, and then I think they even after that had fixes that they had to make of it. Make to it because of this novella. It's like, oh, oops, we forgot we did this thing. And I think the theme you see with the novellas is you're adding incremental detail. So you're probably getting a thirty, you know, starting with a thirty thousand foot view of okay, this this scenario happened at a piece of time, and then you know, it's like storytelling. The fish gets bigger, right? You know, you start saying, well, Megar was a bad guy. Okay, well, how bad was he? Come on, we got like Ramsay here. We got you know people <laughs> getting castrated. So. You know what, what? What's up? So you know you're building on that detail. You're fleshing out that story till it becomes a story unto itself. It's not just a blurb in World of Ice and Fire. It's a story that you can follow that has a narrative. Anybody? No. Okay, because I'm. I'll keep. I'll keep talking. I'll keep talking. Okay. Um, so so, uh, one of the things that. Uh, I wanted to talk about were the rebellions that happened during first Amy's rule, and then uh, I really his name is so rough, George. <laughs> uh, first during Amy's rule, and then later during Magor's, they were completely different uh, types of rebellions. Amy's, like we had mentioned, was um, trouble with a bunch of the lords. There was uh, Heron the Red at Heron Hall, and uh, one of the Aarons in the Vale who like called himself. He like he he said, "I'm I'm king of the Vale now." What are you going to do about it? Um, Come at me, bro. And then uh, there was this Vulture King guy in Dorne who was causing a bunch of trouble and, and possibly even being uh, fed uh, people and money and whatever by the princess of, of Dorne at the time. You know, she kept saying, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I want him gone too. I want him gone too. But, like, it pretty much explicitly states that everybody figured she was she – was, behind it in a way and, and an important fact and i think this is something that we don't pick up because in the you know you have to really pay attention is that dorn is still independent at this time 
they hadn't been really brought into the realm yet. Mm -hmm. So that's how that scenario is able to kind of escalate and become something bigger than it is because they still have their own sovereignty. And um, you know, so, so Aenys is sitting around watching all these lords like rebel and he's like hemming and hawing and, and he keeps saying he's going to do something and then he changes his mind and doesn't. And then uh, Megor literally rides in on in the back of a dragon, it being Valerian, that dragon being Valerian. He claimed, you know, he kept saying, I'm not claiming a dragon until I can have this particular dragon. And so he ends up claiming Valerian and he comes in and he saves the day for his brother. Um, and, and, you know... It, Again, like that's that whole Westeros needs a warrior, not a dreamer. But really, they just need somebody who's going to take action. Uh, so he, you know, he comes in and he saves his brother's ass. And, um, you know, but then Aenys is still king. And, you know, Visenya is still whispering in the background. And it was a while, you know, between when Magor helped Aenys and when he finally just claimed the crown for himself. Um, so I don't know, what do you, like, how do you guys feel about, about the Balerian thing, about the rebellion? Yeah, I think it was pretty obvious when he said he wasn't claiming a dragon that he was waiting for Balerian to become available. Uh, and so it was not shocking when he rode in on Balerian. Um, but also, I felt like that was very fitting because he thinks of himself as the true heir of Aegon. Like, I, I am Aegon's real son. I'm the, I'm the one that's really going to do what Aegon did and be the conqueror. And so, yeah, I'm going to wait until I can have my daddy's dragon. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I like the whole scene where, um, you know, when he's exiling him, you know, he's like, okay, well, well give me Black Blackfire. And he's like, okay, you can take Blackfire from me. Like, mm -hmm. you know, once again, come at me, same attitude. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that he follows through when he would just summarily execute people who defied him when he became king. Um, and, that, and that was pretty consistent with him. Yeah, I mean, and... Um you know, he he was he was Megor's hand. Like he was mm -hmm. hand of the king at one point, right. and uh, you know that it's like, oh, things are going okay. You know, Megor Megor saved Aenys's butt from these you know rebellious lords, and and then he became hand of the king, which I I don't really know that Megor had the the, the skills. For yeah, the skills yeah. to be to be hand of the king, but whatever, sure. But um, it's a nice alternate fantasy where you think like, oh, what if these two could have worked together, and and what what could they have done together? If they hadn't been so busy fighting each other, or or maybe if like Aegon had spent like I don't know ten more minutes in Visenya's bedroom or something like that. You know? I mean, <laughs> if that's what it boiled down to, is like he wouldn't cuddle. You know what I mean? <laughs> um. But then, like, unfortunately for Amy's, uh, Megor, you know, was childless and he was pissed about that. So he went and, and got a second wife. Um, and that caused, you know, a whole other, you know, all these other issues because the, you know, the faith, the, sept, the high septuagint everyone disagreed with it. You know, they were not cool with the incest, but they also really weren't cool with, you know, the, the multiple wives. And, you know, even though Megor kind of, like, set Siri side tower aside, you know, they, there's no divorce mm -hmm. in Westeros. So it was, you know, the, he's still married to her and now he's got a second wife. And that's, um, you know, that, that caused this whole like kind of second round of issues this time with the faith. Do you, do you think that, and one thing for me, you know, that kind of pops out because amongst the, you know, sex position and other things we see that are, that are relatively liberal in Westeros, you know, um, and in like Dornish practices that are pretty liberal, this kind of highlights how conservative Westeros can be in terms of their religious practices, which I kind of try to project into the current date, right? And the things that are going on with Cersei and, you know, messing with the faith and how that's taken seriously. Um, obviously, since the faith militant is once again cropping up, it's a very good highlight to how serious of an issue this was at a certain point where, you know, people were so. Um, fixed on their, their dogma just regarding marriage that they were willing to die, willing to literally have bounties placed on their head and yet still fight back and try to, um, you know, persevere with this particular doctrine of the faith. Well, I think part of that ties into, like, this is a real-world historic parallel where um, the ruler of a kingdom was also seen as sort of a spiritual leader, like, you know, anointed by God, supposed to be God's representative on earth. Uh, and so if you're not following traditional morals as set down by the church, uh, you're, you're not condemning just yourself, but you're condemning the entire kingdom to hell. And so you really don't want that to happen if you can avoid that. Um, it's kind of nice not to go to hell. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you kind of see that playing out because George Martin draws more from historic sources than from mythological, mythological sources. Um, 
and so he's looking for a way to draw that parallel between like hey like you know the this whole kingdom's going to go to hell in a handbasket because the king is not following what we consider to be moral so we are duty bound to try to take care of this and try to get somebody more morally acceptable on the throne yeah and i mean the 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 whole like in in a, in the current timeline the faith militant coming back it happens very quickly but in um you know in this particular in sons of the dragon it's it's a very like the faith militant exists but it's uh the the the, the amount that the faith that, that, that the Church of the Seven is, is uh, involved kind of just grows gradually throughout Aenys and Maegor's life. Um, you know, they weren't happy with the way things were with the Targaryens, but then these two sons married outside the family and they think everything's kind of going okay for a little bit. And then Maegor takes his second wife and they get a little bit more angry and they start speaking up a little bit more. And then, as I mentioned earlier, Aenys uh, decided to marry his son Aegon to his daughter uh, Raina. And that is when it kind of, it, bro- it broke, you know, the faith. They were like, no, 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 no. We can't go back to this. Um, and, and unfortunately, like that, you know, with Megor already being problematic, even though Aenys uh, died kind of soon after he, he married his, his son and his daughter, um, they, uh, you know, Megor being king wasn't really much better because, you know, in their minds, and especially when he had been, he had been sent away uh, yeah. after he married um, his second wife, uh, Alice, Alice, Alice Haraway. Uh, he had been sent away, like ban- banished, uh, and he was gone for five years, and he came back, um, you know, to, to claim the crown when his, when his brother died. And he had a choice. Like, the, I mean, Amy said, look, look, all you've got to do is, like, put her, you know, say you're not really married to the um, Holloway, and, you know, you can stay. And he goes, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go with her and go to exile. So he, he literally, you know, prioritized himself and his own interests over the entire realm at that point. But also, because uh, one of the things you see, the Targaryens always play by their own rules. Like, they're, they're very much in Westeros, but not of Westeros. They kept their their bloodlines very pure by intermarrying with each other. Um, they've always followed their own rules. And so you kind of see, like, this is a point generationally where they have to decide, are we going to be a Westerosi family or are we going to be a Valerian family? And which set of morals and culture are we going to follow? And they're very explicitly choosing, no, we're Valerian, we're the sons of the dragon, we're going to do whatever we want to do, and we're going to follow these rules that are handed down in our family for all these generations from a kingdom that doesn't even exist anymore. Um, we're going to rule Westeros, but we're going to do it as Valerians. I mean, and they kind of can because they have dragons. Yeah, <laughs> because they have dragons, they can get away with that. And they became the, the correct me if I'm wrong, I, I do remember this, the, the title, you know, the, the royal title, which, you know, if, if you remember from the scene, even from the TV show, you know, how long the actual royal title is for, um, you know, the, the ultimate crown. But I think the defender, um, defender of the seven or the protector of the seven that came mm-hmm. after this whole incident, right? That was added. Might have, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that might be, you might know more about that than I do. That's yeah, I think, that, I think that the, <laughs> it, this novella specifically mentions that that whole title, you know, as a defender of the faith, um, you know, came because they were seen as antithetical to the faith. So they had to go and promise and make these concessions after this whole ordeal, I think both with um, Amy's and, you know, finishing up with Magor, that no, we are going to preserve and protect the faith. Well, there's no better way of protecting the faith than executing a high septum or two. So, and appointing, and appointing your own—that's very historical. If you look at the popes, you know, in mm-hmm. medieval times, that happened yeah. all the time. Well, I mean, and and I, I mean, Magor, he, um, I mean, he eradicates the faith militant. You know, they they don't exist uh, up until you know, this point in, in the current timeline where Cersei kind of allows them to come back um, because of Megor the Cruel. Like, they, he, he went to war with them and he won. Um, you know, they, and they had, they had a lot of people and they had a lot of support. They had a lot of support from, from the small folk and everything, but uh, Megor had a dragon. Right, they, they, <laughs> they could have been a longer term problem. Um, if it wasn't stamped out the way he stamped them out. I mean, they could have run longer-term rebellions and had, um, you know, at the end they were literally kidnapping folks like the Mm -hmm. um, Brotherhood Without Banners is doing right now, just kidnapping Freys, you know. Um, You know, they they were doing the exact same thing with people who were associated with that regime and kind of supporting um, 
Magor's regime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that also ties back to the historical parallels when um, England was transitioning from being a mostly Catholic country to mostly Protestant country. Um, it happened because King Henry VIII wanted to marry somebody else, and Pope wouldn't give him a divorce, so he made his own religion, got rid of the wife, and you know, there was a, the whole thing with all of his wives. But then there were several generations going back and forth where first he had a Protestant son on the throne, and so the kingdom stayed Protestant. Then he had a Catholic daughter, and she tried to take everything back Catholic. Then she ha there was another Protestant daughter, Elizabeth I, and Elizabeth I is the one who really cemented Protestantism, pr Protestantism in that country. Um, but it was several generations of fire and blood and rebellions and intrigues. Um, you know, the Mary Queen of Scots ended up being executed because she was looked at as a Catholic pretender to the English throne. Um, and so because it was taken care of very quickly with dragons, they ended their religious conflict much more quickly in uh, Westeros than England did. Um, if only King Henry VIII had had dragons, who knows what he would have done. He probably would have had three wives at once. I think. He I, would have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody would have. There would have been no divorcing ever again <laughs> for him. <laughs> Um, so, so, so Megor, like he, he went, he, he eradicated the faith militant and then he also, you know, the, both of, both Amy's and Megor's uh, reigns were just plagued by mm -hmm. not just rebellions, but just like, you know, just constant like fighting. I, it's like, you don't even, I don't even know if you can really call it war because they weren't necessarily calling up a whole ton of banners or anything, but you know, he, he, he fought his nephew as well. And, and, you know, Aegon and his, I'm, I'm pretty sure his dragon Quicksilver both died on the battlefield. Yes. Like, yeah, I get Quicksilver like had his wing ripped off by yeah. Valerian, like rough guys. Um, you know, so, so Megor was good at this. He was good at, winning these these little kind of mini skirmish war things I, I like i don't i hesitate to call it war because like i said they're not calling up a ton of banners this isn't war of the five kings type you know situation this is just people it's unrest yeah yeah, yeah like really bad unrest well, although but. you know it is it is in the number of thousands i mean and not once again without dragons that completely changes the exactly game. You know, if you're able to just go onto a field and, you know, I think there was a situation um, in one of the rebellions where it was raining and, you know, Valerian was still, uh, you know, using his, his fire and still managed to kill thousands even while it was raining. You mm -hmm. know? I mean, that completely changes the game if you're thinking about the scales of these battles, which are usually between five to 10,000 against kind of equal forces. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing is while, even while all of this is going on, somehow Megor still managed to uh, complete the Red Keep. Mm -hmm. um, and then after he uh, kind of got rid of the Faith Militant and everything, he created the Dragon Pit where their, uh, their little, I, I can't remember what the building was called that they, that they it like. Was it yeah, was, it was a Sept. Yeah, it was a Sept, but yeah. I, a Sept of Remembrance, thank yeah. you. Um, you know, so he, that was torn down and he created the, you know, he created the dragon pit in its place. Um, think, so think about how cool that was. Cause that was after he, you know, to, to, for the, um, you know, he tore down the sept. So, I mean, in that he's given the finger to the faith, you know, and on top of that, he just went executed all the builders, you know, he said, Oh, we're going to throw a party. Yeah, yeah, come. Parties are great. Westeros loves parties <laughs> and, you know, slaughtered them all. And I think buried them underneath the rev keep, yep. you know? Yeah. So, I mean, they had to bring in slaves and other folks, you know, from abroad to build the dragon. Program. I think they, they used, they did use a lot of prisoners, prisoners. as well. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> that, that, which is kind of like, this is like real, this is like real life, like using prisoners to yeah. do, to do, uh, mm -hmm. Jobs like, like, I don't know, like they did in California with finding those forest fires. Um, oh, we'll get you a mic. Hold on one sec. Actually, I probably don't need it. <laughs> one of the things that I liked about this novella is that it keeps the Targaryens as the villains mm -hmm. while it keeps us reminded that everywhere else in the realms about this same time, there's other things happening. Like, if you go to the north, right about this same time, the two branded Starks that are born together in the north both claim to be the heir of Brandon Stark. And that's where you get the Starks of Winterfell and the Starks of Harhold. Mm -hmm. That's a fight happening right about the same time as the Blackfire Rebellion. Um, in the south, that's when you see the fight between the young girl that would be later become the Queen of Thorns and House Forrester over their right to claim the rose, right? She married the rightful heir and they were unwilling to pass it down. 
All of this is happening simultaneously with Black Fire Rebellion. It's a completely different storyline, told in a completely different area of the world, and it's all just people in the fighting in the Seven Kingdoms, in the, individu in the individual areas. But what we're reading is brother fighting brother mm -hmm. centrally in the middle of the world with the villains as George R. R. Martin wants to set them. So there's other infighting happening everywhere else. Everybody else you're watching on the screen is all fighting each other during this time as well. And what we get is Targaryen versus Targaryen and the Sea of Blood. Well, I think this kind of that kind of harkens back to kind of what I said earlier. Martin really does like weave similar stories and references into these things. The the Magor and Gregor similarities. Um, like one of the things that I had written down was I love what I what I'm going. I choose to believe are like homages that he like kind of peppers throughout these other stories. Um, in this particular one, uh, Davos Baratheon. Um, like likens his down. father's collection of severed hands and feet to a string of onions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and also even like um, there's a, there's a Tarly that's his nickname is Savage Sam Tarly, which kind of you know obviously brings to mind Sam the Slayer, um, and and. Uh, I think like there, you could probably possibly make an argument for it being lazy writing, but I really think in Martin's case, it's all very much on purpose, and it's kind of one of the things I enjoy most about the way he writes. And, and I always bring back, and Jen mentioned this, and mm -hmm. said he's such a fan of history, and if you look at a lot of different regimes, I mean, recently I, I think about like Yugoslavia, you know, what, what brought that whole nation together was Tito, right? You know, you had one strongly central leader. But then when that goes away, it's like, oh, we all hate Tito. He's a horrible guy. We're all unified in our distaste for this guy. But afterwards, it's like, okay, wait. We're Actually, I hate you too. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> because the, that's the way it was before for mm -hmm. hundreds and thousands of years. Yeah, the PR against the guy was pretty strong. And also history repeats itself. Yeah. Right. Sadly, but very We're not good at learning from mistakes. <laughs> yes, go ahead. I, I, uh, they're, they're discussing. I think it, just talk for a uh, Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask you what your favorite, one of your favorite moments in the novella was, uh, but before that I wanted to share one of my favorite moments, and I just love in the novella uh, when Megar lands in King's Landing, and he has no supporters there, so they declare, they, the, the faith thinks they, they have him, and so they declare trial seven, because they think no one's going to fight for Megar, yeah. so he just randomly like asks everyone who's going to fight for him, and then, I don't know, is there any kids in, no, right, so, and then the, this commoner, Big Bean, uh, he stands up and he's like, I, I was born a king's man, I mean to die one. And he, uh, he, you know, he incites all the others to uh, actually like step up, all the real knights to step up and fight for Megor. So I was wondering what some of your favorite moments in the world. I just got a chill hearing that because that was my favorite moment. Oh, yeah. I was like, look at Dick Bean stepping up over here <laughs> and you guys aren't going to step up. And then of course, as soon as he does that, everybody else steps up. Yep. And then coming out of that scene, he barely survives. So you always think about the what if scenario, right? I mean, some people write a lot of fan fiction. It's like, what if the guy just swung a little harder and took him out? You know, that would have changed history completely. You know, if he had died in that melee instead of going through. And it would have, you know, shown he wasn't, you know, favored by the seven. You know, he had that sort of a cover, you know, for a little while of saying, hey, I won this trial by the seven. So, what's up, bro? You know, but... Yeah, so what you said was my favorite spot as well. Um, that scene felt very cinematic to me. Um, it was very easy to picture the inevitable HBO adaption of it. Um, <laughs> uh, it was really very well written. Um, I, and it was, it's a scene that I would love to see in, in film someday. Um, but also I enjoyed um, the aftermath when the Faith of Seven is like, oh, so he did win our trial of Seven, but we still think he's a jerk. <laughs> like. He won, but we really wish he hadn't. How, what, like, what do you do about this? And just kind of seeing that play out is was interesting to me. Yeah, that that probably is the best uh, scene. I mean, and here's the thing: this is this is a yes. Except for maybe his death, because I loved yeah. Clue when I was a kid, and like <laughs> that really is like a whodunit, you know? Because he's he's like you know killed in a way in which you don't know exactly how he died, mm -hmm. but it's kind of clear that it would have been really hard to kill yourself like that. You would have had to like think about it before you did it. Um, and most people committing suicide wouldn't choose to do it in a super painful way on a spiky chair. <laughs> so you know. I mean, it's obvious the Iron Throne killed him. Yes. Like it, yeah, yeah, clearly. Yeah. I mean, the Iron Throne rejects people who aren't worthy of it. So as once he wasn't worthy anymore, the Iron Throne, like... <laughs> somehow well I mean and, and I mean 
yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, it's actually a living being. The Iron Throne. But I, no, for real though, when it was made, like you got to imagine that there wasn't, there's not just swords in that chair. Like there's, no. there, there's gotta be like some, some like actual magic in it. And especially considering Magor dies on it the way he does. And then later, of course, when Mad King Ares is, is sitting on the throne, you know, we hear about how he was constantly cutting himself mm-hmm. on it and, and everything. If we were there, it's yeah. during the Dance of Dragons. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. always cutting herself on it. And that's the, the sign that she's not fit for the throne is the throne keeps rejecting her by cutting her. Which you can't quite imagine. Um, like I, I do love the design of the throne that HBO created, but you can't really imagine this stuff happening on that particular one. So if you've not seen the art that Martin said, yes, this is like how the throne would look. Um, it's like huge. It's just this tower almost of swords and, and everything. Spiky. They're all sticking out and everything. So I don't even know how anybody and, gets up there. And it's honestly. like meandering. It's sort of like yeah. a, a winding path. I mean, there's supposed to be what, like a thousand swords a thousand in there or something? Swords, yeah. Not 50 HBO. <laughs> you know, I, 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 like, I really, there's, there's, there's a lot of problems I have with the show, but like, I do like the design of the throne. It's very nice and clean. It, it's um, symmetrical, and it looks like you could actually sit in it. Ha- is yeah. the throne right. in yeah. here? Right the now? throne is over there. Oh, okay, yes. It's available for photo ops. Yes, yes. Just please be, so be gentle Daenerys with it. So the, to get in it. Yeah. yeah. Please be gentle with the throne because we need it for Saturday or tomorrow night. Gosh, it's okay. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah. Uh, I, yeah, that the scene with with Dick Bean is good. His death is good. <laughs> I mean, honestly, my like my whole thing is like I always, if, I've read this novella I think three times now, and um, my whole thing is like I know that this is about Megor, but like it's also about Amy's uh, some too, and like you learn a little bit about his his kids, particularly his oldest kids. Uh, like Reyna eventually is forced to marry Megor, um, yes. you know because. Aegon is dead and, and he's still not had any kids and it's like yeah I'll, well I'll, I'll, I'll marry my niece it's cool right like she'll, she might give me some kids she's, had, she's already had kids and also like maybe I can get that you know this kind of merge merge the lines or whatever it doesn't work mm-hmm. out that way obviously um but like I, I, I do, I always, I always read it hoping that I'm gonna learn more about uh, Jaharis, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then at the end, it's like you get that little like, oh, but that's another tale for another time. It's like, dang it! But I want to know more about him. <laughs> but that's another novella that probably will come in the future, you know, if he's. Or well, I mean, we'll, hopefully we'll get a whole crap ton of this information right. in in you know Fire and Blood. Which yeah. and, and the other thing, you know. Uh, while it will almost certainly flesh out Magor's story, we did get a lot of Targaryen information in World of Ice and Fire. Um, I don't know if everybody in here read through the entire book, but I mean, probably like almost a third of it is straight up just Targaryen like history. Um, but you know, and and to be honest, I'm not sure. And Andrew, Jen, you guys may know this. What's what's the style of Fire and Blood? Like, is it going to be told to us like a Septon is writing it, like like this novella was, or I have no idea. It's an archmaester. It's an archmaester that writes. Yeah. It. Okay. It? It okay. Is. Okay. I mean, I that makes sense. The premise is like there's some archmaester who's like, oh, look what I found in this chest. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, in the world of Ice and Fire, the archmaester who writes it is Jandel, mm-hmm. who is represented by Elio. Elio, yeah. 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 But he's quoting uh, Gildan. Gildane. Yes, that's what it is. Gildane is George R. R. Martin who writes Fire and Blood. I wasn't, for for some reason, I haven't, to be honest, I haven't, like, looked that much into Fire and Blood because I just kind of want to be... I, I don't know. I want it to be new and fresh to me because it's the first thing we've got, a first real thing we've gotten in a while. I mean, basically since World of Ice and Fire, um, you know, and it's it's probably the thing the, the thing we're gonna get, the only thing we're gonna get for a while. So uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm trying to I'm trying to stay like like kind of spoiler free. And I, I you know I knew that um, obviously you know we've had the the mentions of like these histories that were written by these maesters. Part of me was kind of hoping that it would actually be like a novel. But I guess not. I'm Maybe sad now. You've ruined it for me. Yeah. Um, do we have any? Oh, Raina, and, and Raina was interesting. You brought up Raina. I did feel like she got her justice in the end, right? Because she ends up riding off, getting the dragon, getting Blackfire, and he's dead. So, I mean, she did kind of, you know, get yeah. him in the end. Yeah. Even yeah. though that, that whole Black Bride situation was really depressing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if, if they were going to make an HBO adaption of this, that would be like... Like the 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 crowning moment of awesome, where like she rides off with the dragon and the sword, and like well, the closing credits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poor poor Raina did not have a very easy life. I mean, we don't know for sure that she loved 
her her husband brother. Um, but like I, I feel like they I feel like they had a good relationship. You don't they had like, a healthier relationship. Yeah, healthy. Yeah. If we ignore the fact that they're brother and sister, perhaps more consensual than what she had with her uncle. And um, you know, and she also she had her her twin daughters with him and uh they play a part in her marrying Megor. like people are kind of thinking oh she's gonna try to find a way to bow out of this uh but then tiana of the tower shows up you know with the daughters that reyna had tried to like secret away and it's like nobody knows how she found them um but you know other than probably like something black magic something something black magic um you know but you know tiana like kind of forces this to happen and i mean thankfully later she gets her due too because she's not she was not great uh there was like that minute where you're thinking oh like nobody likes that tiana exists nobody likes that magor is like married or whatever but like uh him and alice are real happy about it (laughs) so but you do get that sort of fear of outsiders that that comes into play with a lot of different characters that are foreign Mm. you know in the books there's there's a lot more characters that are from other places but even with Varys who you know came from Essos you know that's part of the inherent distrust of this guy you know that makes him spidery right so I mean that's something that plays out with Tiana and some of the others that are from abroad as well and even to an extent the Targaryens because they're ultimately foreigners that mm-hmm. came to Westeros yeah and and um I mean and honestly like it's it's uh kind of what all is going on in Sons of the Dragon is you know, it kind of is, it, it's, a, it's a very strong hint at what we are, you know, what, what will likely happen when Daenerys, you know, in, in the books eventually makes her way to Westeros. Um, I mean, obviously we've seen a little bit of that in the show, but um, I'm just going to focus on the book portion of it. And, and yeah, like we, we can pretty much most, most likely expect that it's going to be a similar thing where she is, you know, not just fighting against lords who don't want to be under Targaryen rule again, but also possibly even fighting against, you know, the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, not just the faith militant, but just the faith in general. Like, they, they've never really cared for the Targaryens. Uh, they had a kind of begrudging, like, acceptance of them because they had to. Um, but, but yeah, so I, I definitely think this is a good kind of precursor of like what we're po- probably going to see when yeah because you can kind of see that in the show because it's not just oh we don't want the mad king's daughter on the throne uh, but it's also she's a foreign queen she has foreign ways she's bringing a foreign army with her she's not one of us and so we don't really want her on the throne because she's not westerosi wouldn't it be so much better if you had me cersei because i'm so great and i'm one of you and you know me <laughs> <laughs> Even though they're both, you know, they're both in a way more Cersei now because mm-hmm. Daenerys is not a totally known factor yet to all of Westeros, but she's already firing up the Faith Militants. So by the time Daenerys gets there, they're going to be kind of charged up and ready to go yeah. because they've been dealing with Cersei for the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Yeah. Any questions before we just keep talking? Just making sure, just checking. Um, Okay, uh, one of, one of the things I I thought was kind of funny, um, and and this is this kind of is bred from you know we wait so long between getting new you know new stuff from this world uh, that we kind of tend to pick things apart. But like when the more times you read these, the more little things you pick up. Like I mentioned earlier, the the kind of homages with the Davos Baratheon and Savage Sam and uh, one of the things that I kind of got a chuckle out of and hopefully I'm not going to offend anyone here but there's a Lord Falwell who fights with uh, the faith Uh, they call him the fighting fool and like I just want that to be a Jerry Falwell reference so bad and like Martin is he he is very like He's political in this, like in in ways like that, where he here's a little a little poke, Low-key, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, a little a little poke, like it's it, it you might get it. Maybe it's not a reference, but like it seems it seems kind of like this can't be coincidence that this guy's name is Falwell. He's fighting with the faith, and his nickname is the Fighting Fool. <laughs> but um, did you guys notice anything like that, like? So. No, I mean, other than the, the names that you pointed out already that are definitely parallels. I mean, Davos was, was so on the nose for me. <laughs> I mean, I, I literally stopped. I was actually listening to it on the first time in audiobook. I paused it and just had a moment to myself on that one. Um, 
But other than that, it was more um, for me looking at the the references that came back. Um, you know, there was a, a funny one um, in uh, the Dance with Dragons. Rhaenyra, you know, actually uh, ends up being called or dubbed King Magor with teats, which was kind of a, a later on reference that kind of comes back around. Um, and then, you know, Daemon was also said that he was as cool, gonna be as cool as Magor. So Magor kind of sets this like gold standard for coolness throughout <laughs> Westeros. So one of the things I noticed was that there was um, some good symbolism going on with Magor's keep, with the, the red keep being built because um, it's being built as he's building up the kingdom and, and making a strong foundation for it. But at the end of it, he ends up killing a whole bunch of people and burying them under the foundation. And that's sort of like Westeros. Like Westeros was built into a strong kingdom by what Magor did, um, but he did it by killing a whole bunch of people and uh, burying them somewhere, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the, the, him, him, you know, we, we get that like in, in brief mentions in the, you know, I think it's in in Game of Thrones, like in the first book, um, you know that that Magor killed everybody, and that nobody really knows all of the secrets. And the, and there's been stuff added to to the Red Keep since then. Well, and um, that's another um, parallel to Westeros itself. Nobody really knows all the secrets of Westeros. There's all these intrigues and infighting, and there's you know who's Jon Snow's parents and things like that. There's there's a lot that you don't know because everyone who knew it died. I mean, or and also, late, like, is, is the Red Keep cursed because of what Magor did, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it depends on, on you know, which, I guess, religious lens you're looking through. I mean, the, the, you know, the seven, and that's another panel. We have another panel on that later uh -huh. on, on magic in Westeros and what's going on. Um, the seven is a very interesting faith, I think, but in that it hasn't shown sort of a manifestation yet, at least as far as I know uh, in the series, versus, you know... Um, R'hllor has shown definite powers there, and definitely the old gods, you know, have the uh, weirwood internet. So, I mean, that's definitely like a real thing. And Bloodraven, you know, who we've heard about a lot, we, you know, obviously he's even in the show, but, you know, in the books, and then in um, World of Ice and Fire, you know, you can see he was actually using those, those crows to spy on people, clearly. Mm -hmm. um, and that's definitely interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and, I, and I think that, you know, that's, Possibly even like part of why the Targaryens, like yes, they're 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 the Targaryens. They have dragons, so they do what they want to do. But also like what, why why should they have any sort of like respect or reverence for this faith that yeah it was there before them, but they don't follow it. And there's it doesn't like you said it doesn't manifest itself. So why shouldn't I? Like, why should I listen to what they want of me? Why shouldn't I? You know, murder their militant branch? Like there's it's it's. It, you got you got to understand kind of a little bit where Migor's coming from in in that respect. Like there's there's nothing there's nothing really there to like to to respect or, or or you know want to be part of honestly. And to a certain extent, it's like fundamentalism. Like to a certain extent, you can't negotiate with a, with somebody who's purely fundamentalist. I mean, if you really believe in your you know heart of hearts that you know marrying more than one person at a time is wrong, it's hard to convince that person to change that position. Yep. Continue with that point. One of the things that, um, you know, staying with the Sons of the Dragon, Baylor Breakspear. Mm -hmm. And if you know his story, if you don't, look it up. It's beautiful. You're actually going to like Targaryen. Um, <laughs> but when you see the Sept fall in this last season, one of the things they make sure that you see is Baylor's statue crumble. And for me, that was just a pure. Um, highlighting of the fact that the only peacekeeper between the Seven Kingdoms and the the Lord's Militant, the, 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 you know, the Faith's Militant, was Baylor. The, 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 he literally made the peace in the land between the religion and the military. Mm -hmm. And you watch the only symbol of that left fall at Cersei's, at Cersei's will. So she declares war on all of that while getting her revenge and destroying the symbol of peace between the religion and the seven kingdoms simultaneously. That's a heck of a, it's a heck of a symbol. And thinking she got the better hand of it. I mean, the quote is, and I was actually just about to bring up this quote, it's a great one. You know, she says, uh, you know, this is a quote from um, Game of Thrones. 
it was, you know, what did she care about what Megar uh, the Cruel had decreed 300 years ago? Instead of taking the swords out of the hands of the faithful, he should have used them for his own ends. She thinks she can manipulate, like she does with everybody, mm -hmm. the faith. She's in for a rude awakening on that, and I think that's what is coming. And I think that's a very, very strong symbolism. Well, I mean, and, and the other thing to, to always keep in mind, though, even with Baylor, um he he was also he was still cray cray. <laughs> oh, he was super like, cray cray. Like he he I mean still you know he, he he locked his he locked his sister wives in a in a maiden vault. Uh, they were tempting. Yeah yeah so so you know he he was he was you know sure 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 he was great with um you know with with working things out with the faith but like he was horrible with dealing with his his own family. It's like Targaryens can never just be kind of good at all these things like there's always there's always like this really big catch like sure Megor is a warrior but he's also a huge jerk and like you know what I mean not just not even just what he did with the Red Keep but just generally um you know, his, his life as a whole he treats his wives like crap you know he sets one aside he kills a whole bunch of them later on uh forces people to marry him um you know so it, it's yeah, it's 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 yeah. it's definitely there's there's always this huge catch with the Targaryens. They can be good at one thing, but then they've got to be really bad at all, like a whole bunch of other stuff. And they've gotten through by usually having somebody in the wings or somebody who's assisting them that kind of compliments them or allows them to kind of keep through. Like even with Baylor, he had like Aim on the Dragon Knight there helping him out, kind of keeping things, um, you know, in check. You know, even Ares, I mean, Mad King Ares had folks that were supporting him. Mm -hmm. You know, even. And, Embarrassed him, sell me. You know, could have not gone into Duskendale and rescued his dumb butt. You know, and we would have not had most of what led up to Game of Thrones. But you know, because he was there and he was the man, you know, that allowed him to go forward. And we saw, you know, Robert's rebellion. Well, even politically, like um, Ares survived so long because he had Tywin Lannister as his hand. As well, yeah. yes. So uh, he was being propped up, like, okay, we've got, like, this guy, he's kind of cray-cray, but be because of him, we can rule the kingdom and kind of keep things going for a while, and when his cray-cray gets too much, that's when everything uh, collapses around it's us. so unfamiliar. I I, yeah. <laughs> this never happens. I think life. this panel should have been called Targaryens. They're kind of cray-cray. You <laughs> <laughs> can make a note for next time. <laughs> Do we have any, any other questions, thoughts, anybody? Because we're... Um, oh. I wanted to ask about the, um, so in the book, uh, even after uh, Maegor deals with the high seven situation in, in Old Town, um, you still see a lot of the poor fellows uh, popping up all around, and I was wondering if, if, um, if when Westeros gets invaded by Daenerys in the, the, in the current series, if, she, if you think that she'll have like similar problems with like, poor fellows popping up, or if you think that's just because it's, it hasn't been so long since uh, the faith reinstated that uh, they, they armed themselves again, uh, that they, they won't have as much uh, of a resistance this time around. It's hard to say, honestly, because um, we also don't know how Daenerys is going to handle um, you know, the faith, like mm -hmm. I, she, I don't think she has any love for it, but like, she also doesn't, she doesn't, it's not like she practices any other religion. Well, bring it back to, uh, disarm them again or they'll keep, keep them armed? Oh, I, I, I mean, I, I think she would probably disarm them. It would be like my kind of off the, off the cuff guess. Um, I, but I also think that what, what may kind of come to pass is, if she, if her and John insist on whatever, if if that actually happens in the books, and they find out they're related the way they are, and they, you know, insist on keeping on, keeping on with it, then there there might be, you know, those other issues, but mm -hmm. like like continued issues, um, or, or repeated issues, maybe is is the best way to put it. But like, at the same time, uh, I don't know if we'll even get that far into the future. Like, think about where where the books are leaving off now, I highly doubt that there, there's going to be some stones unturned and some, you know, frayed ends that aren't uh, glued together. And, and I think that we probably won't get too much detail. Um, but I, I, I don't really foresee her being okay with there being like the, the militarized religion. But you got a hierarchy of needs, and I agree with Tara's analysis completely, but you got a hierarchy of needs, right? Not being killed by the others. 
pretty high on the list of hierarchy of needs. You know, your philosophical belief in like marriage kind of lower than that. Starving to death because armies are like pillaging your land and like, you know, are you saying that the warrior sons and the and the poor fellows are going to save Westeros from the from the White Walkers? No, well, I, no. I think it one could hope they'd get involved at some point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's either that or die. So, I'm... <laughs> yeah. But um, I, you know, I do think that you know, like Tara said, he she would prefer to disarm them. But I think the one thing she has going for her is she has good advisors. Mm -hmm. She has folks who have been in Westeros, and she's shown that she will listen to them sometimes, which is more than Dagar, who's never. You know? <laughs> so that, that's, that's the big difference between the two. She can be talked to and reasoned with, and she can learn, and she's shown that capacity, which is different than some other Targaryens. Yeah, I mean, th and that's the thing. I, I think we have to focus on, on like, the book Daenerys that we get and what and where you know where she is in that story because you know when she's in marine she is listening to people she mm -hmm. she is you know she's still not making the best decisions but she's not just stomping around burning everybody with her dragon you know because she wants the iron throne and maybe maybe she will eventually but like i i i would one would hope that she's at least smart enough and has learned enough in you know her short short Time. I always forget how young she is. Mm -hmm. uh, you know that that she's not going to Magor the Cruel it with the faith. Like maybe she doesn't want them militarized, but maybe she will. Uh, you know, work with them, talk with them, versus just eradicating. You know the way the way Magor did. I don't I, really think so. Uh, like it's pretty clear in the books that Daenerys is bad at ruling. Yeah. Um, she wants to be good at it, and she wants to be a gentle, kind ruler that everybody loves, and she wants to to rule a peaceful kingdom. But she's really bad at it. Her skill set is actually conquering people and and killing people and and taking over things with fire and blood. Uh, and that's sort of like her storyline in uh, Dance of Dragons is her realizing, oh, I'm not good at actually sitting on the throne. I'm good at sitting in the saddle with a sword in my hand and having my dragons burn stuff. <laughs> she and uh, you know, and I, I agree that I think definitely mm -hmm. Marine has been a learning experience for her. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and hopefully she's gained some not some insight, some personal uh -huh. insight in that. Um, but I think that that um, to, to Tara's point, there's a difference between a show of force and just insanity, right? So just recklessly slaughtering people mm -hmm. versus, okay, we have to show force to show we're not gonna back down. I mean, sort of a, a Tywin Lannister situation, right? Where you had to, I mean, he almost had to deal with the Reigns and the Castamere's in that way because it had gotten out of hand. They were laughing at the Lannisters, they didn't take them seriously, mm -hmm. they were not paying them back for anything. You know, at that point, his dad was a joke, you know, was, um, you know, his, his mistress was like taking his dead wife's clothes and parading around. I mean, it, it was, it, you know, it was really um, a situation where he had to step up and become the, the leader and make that show of force. So I think Daenerys definitely has to follow that same path, which might look like Magor at first. Well, I mean, and here's the problem. Like, we get to see all these histories. You know, we're, we're reading all these histories soon. We'll have, like, the entire Targaryen history. But uh, we have to remember that, like, Daenerys especially, she doesn't know all of these stories. You know, she was she was raised essentially, you know, by Viserys with nothing but like the positive stuff, um, and and so she she does have a lot to learn. And uh, you know, will will she ever will she ever read this tale? I mean, we're what what we are reading in Sons of Dra Sons of the Dragon is like you know like we said written by uh, Septon. I, th I thought this one was a Septon, but maybe it is a Maester. It's a Maester. Yeah. It is. I, I, for some reason, I thought this one was a Septon, but um. But, uh, you know, we like maybe like she will get that text and, and learn from it, because honestly, the, especially this one, especially with Magor's fight with the Faith Militant and everything, that would, that's really important for her storyline if she shows up in Westeros and, and they are still armed, you know, the way Cersei has armed them. Um, so do you guys have anything else you wanted to say? Because it's we're uh, at the wrap up time in like a minute or so. I just want to. No, no I, I hope to see everybody at some of the other Game of Thrones panels this week, and I'll especially at the Game of Thrones party yeah. tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Uh, yeah, also, it, so we've got, um, there must always be a Stark at DragonCon. Yes. It's tomorrow in here at 5.30. Then there's the North Remembers How to Party uh, tomorrow night <laughs> at 10 at the Hilton uh, Grand East. Mm -hmm. And then um, Sunday is Looney Theories, Game of Thrones. 
we had a blast with this panel last year. It's at 10 o'clock in this room. We had a blast with this panel last year. But I will say that, like, there were people lined up outside the room, and people that showed up right at 10 did not get in. (laughs) I think later a couple people filtered out, and there were people who were able to stand along the back wall. But if you want to see this ridiculous panel uh, 10 on Sunday night, definitely get here a little early. It's pretty nuts. And it is marked mature for a reason on the app. Yes, yes. Um, It's book and show, too, so any questions? I mean, shoot, if, if, if if you are waiting in line and need something to listen to or whatever if you go to uh my website which is a geeksaga.com i have the panel on my website as a podcast episode uh so you can like listen to it it's it's really ridiculous um and then monday is white walkers wargs and weirwoods in here at one um and other than that uh rate us in the app if you guys enjoyed the panel and if you didn't uh maybe don't rate us (laughs) (laughs) uh and 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 also don't forget the dragon con charity literacy action uh they're taking book donations like physical book donations third floor of the hilton and of course they are matching uh donations up to a hundred thousand dollars Thank you for listening to Tara Lynn's A Geek Saga podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out my website, ageeksaga.com, or consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com backslash ageeksaga.